HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Whole Foods Market, wholefoodsmarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are going to be talking grains, uh, specifically main grains and grains of the Northeast. We are on the line with Amber Lamke and Richard Roberts of the Main Grain Alliance. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Hi, Erin. Yeah, thank you. So I, I thought for folks who uh, maybe aren't familiar with the Grain Alliance, Amber, you could start us off by giving us just a brief overview of, of your organization's kind of history and the work that you focus on throughout the year. Sure. Well, back in 2007, a grassroots group of us in Skowhegan, Maine, which is in the center of the state of Maine, um, got together with the idea of starting a conference that would bring together grain growers and millers and bread bakers and wood-fired oven builders and all of those um, trades and services that go hand-in-hand in in reviving regional grain economies. Uh, What was happening at the time is we had a world-renowned oven builder in our community who was seeing artisan bread bakers building wood-fired ovens and those bakers having a desire to use locally produced wheat. And at that time, 2007 in Maine, there wasn't enough to go around, and there were some quality issues with the wheat being grown here for bread. So we set about to work on those issues. And so we founded the Kneading Conference, K-N-E-A-D, in 2007, and that has become an annual event that now attracts about 250 participants over two days to the Skowhegan State Fairgrounds, uh, for an intensive conference on these topics, followed by a third-day artisan bread fair, which is open to the public and free, and it brings in about 3,000 people. Wow. So, so that successful kneading conference um, led to the founding of the Maine Grain Alliance, a nonprofit that now works on these issues year-round. 
So that conference is coming up for folks who want to attend. It's later in July, the 24th, the 25th, and then the bread fair on the 26th. Now, Robert, I'm sorry, Richard, you came to the project uh, as a grower. Is that correct? Yes. uh, I've had gardens up here for, you know, 35 years, but I really started getting interested in the, in growing grains when the uh, when the needing conference started. And so uh, when Amber was um, first getting the mill going there in Skowhegan, I went down and volunteered and then got involved in growing these, um, oh, you know, kind of wheat trials, heritage wheats for her, uh, through her and through the grain conference, I mean, through the, uh, the grain alliance. And maybe you can give us some sense of Kind of, was this a thing in the region that people were like, uh, Richard, is, what are you doing? That's crazy. Or like, oh, yeah, my grandpa used to grow that. I mean, what was kind of the response at the time? And, and, and was there a history of this type of production, um, you know, previously in Maine? Well, there was traditionally here. You know, Maine was, was Maine and, and this part of Arab here were the sketches for New England. And it wasn't until they opened up the... The Erie Canal, you know, the West meaning upstate New York, that uh, they started bringing in wheat from there. So people had always grown grains up here, and there were always people that were involved in it on a small scale. But it really wasn't until uh, we got the opportunity to have the mill here in town that people, I think, really started getting interested in again and growing it in quantities. That makes sense. So, Amber, can you tell us a little bit about how the mill came to be? Yes. So at that very first needing conference in 2007, um, we realized that there were farmers in attendance and that they were asking, well, where, where is my grain going to be processed? You know, farmers were willing to grow grain, but we lacked the infrastructure for processing. So at that time, my now business partner and I, Michael Scholes and I, uh, got together starting to research what it would take to bring milling infrastructure back to central Maine. And um, it, over the course of several years of research and development and fundraising, we ended up deciding to undertake it ourselves, which meant a, a career shift for me. And we purchased an available building in our downtown, which happened to be the former county jail building, uh, a nice, tall, Victorian brick um, heavy-duty building, and we situated the infrastructure for a mill that launched in September of 2012. So as Richard indicated, um, the infrastructure is also helping to spur more grain production in Maine because now we can process grain for human-grade markets, and we're serving not only Maine with our stone-milled flour and oats, but we're serving all the way south to New York City. So I think that, you know, the kind of the if you're thinking about like the point at which the things need to kind of go through the hourglass and in the production scheme would would it be correct to say like that the the mill is, is that point where essentially all of the the farmers who are producing the the grains come to the mill and the mill is acting just as a step along the chain or is the mill and your group working also with the kind of sales and distribution and packaging and marketing of the products, or does that then just go back to the farmers and and they're trying to kind of do that on their own? How does that kind of aspect of the alliance work? We currently buy from, and and I should differentiate, so I wear two different hats. I'm the part-time executive director of the Maine Grain Alliance, which hosts the Needing Conference, and then as an outgrowth of the conference, the mill is a private venture for my business partner and I. 
So um, the mill is for profit, but the educational programs that we conduct through the conference and other year-round programs are a nonprofit enterprise. And so the mill buys from about 12 different farmers right now, and that number is ever increasing. And we do the processing, packaging, marketing, and sales efforts on that side. Um, what we're finding is that grains make a lot of sense in a diversified crop rotation. And so many farmers that are starting to sell us grains also sell other things, whether it be potatoes or um, some of them are dairy farmers, which uh, like to include grains on their farms because then they get organic straw out of that crop as well, or they also get livestock feed out of their grain crops. Um, so we're working with those diversified farms to add cash value to the grain crops. So would it be fair to say that if for, for most growers at this point, the grains are an addition or a supplement to their existing kind of business? And oh, did we lose Richard there? Yes. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Okay. They're, they're a supplement. And, and like I said, they make great sense in crop rotation and they serve uh, improving soil health in a number of ways. So grains rotate well with legumes, uh, potatoes, vegetables, beans, soybeans. So it just adds value to, um, to a rotation crop scheme. So, you know, I, I feel like in the grain conversation, I, I'm often kind of like, what happened? Like, you know, why was it 2007 that, that, that there was like an attention and a refocus on this when it seems like such a natural fit to the region and there's a history there? Was there some like a, a event or, or shift or market change that, that, you know, led to kind of the reduction of grain production? Um, or, or I'm just kind of like, I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's not a new thing. So, like, w- yeah. you know, what did we what did we mess up, or who messed up, or maybe that's not the right way to say it. You know, like with any industry, if 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 markets suffer for a period of time, then the infrastructure disappears. And you know, we face this in Maine with concern for our dairy farms. We don't want to lose dairy infrastructure in the state because it's so important to processing. But we lost grain production to an economy of scale that made it cheaper to grow high-yielding varieties of grain in the vast open spaces of the Midwest. Uh, New England's geography is much more uh, rolling hills, at times rocky soils, and smaller farm parcels. So, uh, so, so, like I said, there were efficiencies of scale to bring it in on the Midwest uh, by rail and truck. That said, Maine has a lot of um, open farmland in the northern part of its state. So Maine was still growing grains in the northern part of the state, largely for livestock feed and for Canadian markets. And um, most of that grain was not staying in the state of Maine for lack of the infrastructure to process it here. In 2007, the the sort of uprising in local grains, if you will, that was starting to happen was, you know, a recognition that uh, local food and knowing where your food comes from it was and is becoming important to a lot of consumers. And in some of the local vor diets that we were seeing happen in New England, these challenges to eat as close to home as you can, grains were often considered a wild card that you couldn't assume that you could get grains from your um, where you live, and you'd need to get them from away. So we were asking ourselves, well, why is that the case, given that we have this rich history of growing grains in Maine? And so um, you know, I'd say those early years 
we were just trying to imagine, is this really possible? And once we gained the confidence to revive a grain economy in Maine, the kinds of um, questions and topics we're addressing at the conference now are a bit more sophisticated in terms of know-how and processing and markets and things like that. Well, I want to get, I want to bring Richard in here um, in just a minute, but I want to make a, just to, to clarify, like the kind of short, medium, long-term kind of goals of production for that region as the alliance has kind of seen it. I mean, are you kind of positioning your production to not to be in competition with the grain producers that are coming out of the Midwest, but as an alternative, meaning that like you're growing, you know, different products or there's a different kind of like added value um, or like what's the what is the sense of like from the consumer's aspect? Um, is there is there an is it an alternative or are you bringing something kind of new to market that folks couldn't get from other producers? Does that make sense? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Um, I think we are bringing a different value to the marketplace. The Many of the efforts in New England that we're seeing through the Maine Grain Alliance are focused on organic grain production and, in many cases, stone-milled grain production. And in, our, in the United States right now, the percentage of um, organic uh, grain production happening is still less than 1% of the grain produced in our country. So um, many bakers this year experienced shortages in organic wheat, and that's because there simply isn't enough of it for the demand that's growing. So we have an opportunity in New England to stay focused on organic and non-GMO grain production. Um, and, and that said, I should clarify that uh, there is no GMO wheat that's legally grown in the U.S. right now, but it is certainly a, a topic of concern to folks. So, so keeping our grain production non-GMO is important. The other value that we bring is adding unique varieties back into the mix. Um, it's, it's not customary that we buy wheat flour for its variety or its flavor or its color, uh, and those kinds of uh, characteristics are starting to come back into uh, characteristics that we look at and favor. So I mean, that's right. Now, Richard, you are kind of heading up some of that work with regards to looking at heritage grain, um, like seed restoration. Can you talk a little bit about that project and what are some of the grains that you're working with? Yeah, this is a project that was started uh, last year through the uh, Maine Grain Alliance, and it was headed up by the woman, young woman who was the miller there at uh, at Skowhegan. Now, I've, she's gone, so I've taken over from her. I was brought in as one of the growers, and um, so I've got five or six different kinds of wheat and rye that I'm growing here in test plots. I'm standing out in the middle of them right now. They're about 100 feet long. I, I planted them in beds about three feet wide and then by hand planted five rows in, in through there. So I've got some uh, numbers of different kinds of wheat and some rye and then some emmer and einkorn that we've sourced from different people around, you know, very small quantities. And what we're trying to do is just grow more just for seed and increase this. There were four growers so that it was all divided up so if one of us or you know had a, a crop failure, we wouldn't lose all the seed we had. And growing for so I got seven and a half pounds of one kind from a guy named Will Bonsell here, and I'm standing out and it's about uh, 
it's above my knees right now, and it's heading out, and I can, it's, some of it's getting pollen on it. So, um, you know, it's coming in pretty well. And the, the, can you talk a little bit about why it's important to grow for seed in the region where you actually, you know, eventually want to be growing for production? Well, that's one of the things, too. You know, I think the, um, well, it's the, the climate is so much different here, and so what we're doing is we have some a seed that I think was probably originally the 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 grain was from um, what's now the Ukraine, you know that, and we have some seed we've got some from Denmark and some from Sweden, so we're looking for areas that have climates similar to ours, and not climates like they have out in the met in the you know out in the far west in the big plains where it's uh, it's so dry. You know, we have a much moister climate here, so we've got to be able to have varieties that can uh, take it here. You know, these things are, they're local varieties. They refer to them as land race, you know, so they aren't, they're much more genetically diverse than the commercial brands that you, you can, you know, buy the seed from a commercial uh, dealer. Well, I want to talk a little bit about this um, just after the break. We're going we're gonna to take just a short minute to hear from our sponsor. So hang tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Farm Report. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. This summer, Heritage Radio Network is turning five. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like nobody else. And we need, need your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. That means we depend on the support from listeners like you to help keep us alive. If you love what you hear on Heritage Radio Network, visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. You are tuned in to the Farm Report, and we are talking main grains. We're on the line with Amber Lemke and Richard Roberts. So, Richard, I want to kind of paint a little bit of a picture for folks of the – and you, you said you're standing in the middle of your um, – Plot. The test plots. So, could we? Would it be right for us to think of this as kind of like a an agriculture laboratory of sorts? Um, yeah, sure. I, I don't know if anybody ever has been out in the Midwest, but you, you know, you'll come along and you'll see these huge fields of corn out there, and there would be different different types growing, different varieties. You know, so that the farmers could see what you know what they've got, and so we're kind of doing the same thing. We've got a small amount of seeds that. Some local growers have been, you know, working on themselves, you know, just a little handful. And so now that we've got enough that we're spreading them out and see if we can grow more and more. I, I got as much as seven and a half pounds of one type, and then I got some, um, some einkorn, 
and I only had 150 seeds of each of those varieties. They didn't even have names. They just had serial numbers for them. You know, so it's just trying to bring, make more seeds. That's what we're trying to do. So, Amber, and Aaron, just yeah. to piggyback on Richard's comments for a minute, um, one of the, the impetus really for this heritage seed propagation pro- project was primarily to exponentially increase the seed supply so that we can commercially produce some of these interesting and rare varieties. Um, there's a lot of interest in the marketplace for different wheat varieties right now, now and a lot of interest in the older strains of wheat. One of the obstacles to making that happen in the marketplace is seed supply. So um, this is a short-term project that we hope to carry out for three to four years. The increase in seed volume can be about 10 times uh, per year. So we're hoping to get some of these varieties into the hands of farmers that will take it to the next level after we've grown the seed supply. Yeah, so that brings up a couple of questions for me, and I guess I'm going to start with kind of the the scale issue. You know, obviously growing in like a test or a small plot is different than, you know, growing, you know, across the half acre, an acre, or multiple acres. And I'm wondering if you have at this point any sense of some of the, you know, kind of challenges or opportunities that will present themselves as you kind of look to the future um, and think about scaling up production. Are there varieties that might do, you've you've already have a sense, might do better? Is there like a kind of critical mass or size that you have a sense will work? And and where are you able to look for, you know, information on that kind of thing other than just the the tests that you're able to do, you know, from year to year in the region? Sure, sure. I, I think some of the opportunities are really in the discovery of new flavors and potentially uh, enhanced digestibility. The digestibility of wheat is of concern to a lot of people right now, and some of these varieties are of interest for for nutrition and digestibility. I think, as you mentioned, the bottlenecks will come in scale and processing. <clears throat> so, for example, some of these older heritage varieties are lower yielding, and so they fetch premiums to farmers who choose to grow them which can make price point um, difficult once it's processed and entering the marketplace. I think another uh, obstacle can be that there is um, some of these heritage varieties have hulls on them. So they have an outer papery coating to them that has to be removed before you can obtain the grain that you use to eat. And um, while that's not difficult necessarily from an equipment standpoint, the difficulty can be in the economics of what that seed or grain is then worth um, as a farmer goes to sell it. There's a significant amount of shrink, is, is typically the word you use, shrink when you take the hull off and then you have the resultant grain for processing. So we, we had our first experience with that this year at, at the Somerset Grist Mill um, with emmer in that we processed some emmer, but but the shrink is pretty significant once you take the weight of the hull out of the value of the grain. So so some interesting things like that. I mean, that's before we talk about any disease pressure that might be discovered or um, those kinds of things. Yeah, so kind of thinking through. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I was at the New Amsterdam market um, back in May, and Grow NYC was hosting kind of a regional 
Grains booth there. And it was a neat opportunity to see, um, you know, what a couple different producers from the region were doing, you know, what grains they were growing, what types of flowers they were making available, the price points. And I'm wondering, to me, I kind of am thinking about grains in the space kind of like uh, specialty coffee in that there is kind of this culture of like, you know, coffee is is coffee, but then there's this whole other world of kind of like exploration where the the flavor profile and the mouthfeel and the way the beans kind of look and, and, and their price points, you know, really vary pretty dramatically. And, and that to me seems very exciting from a culinary standpoint to have access to all of these kind of like, I don't know, special and, and small batch and unique um, options. But I'm wondering, does that mean that the market for these is going to be more geared towards uh, retail or home consumers, or or are you looking to work with kind of um, you know bakers or people who are going to be looking to produce stuff um, in, in larger volumes, or are you trying to do both? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's absolutely where grains is headed, and we have that to look forward to. I think there is a place for bakers and chefs as well as home bakers to be using these interesting varieties. Um, I've certainly seen great examples both in New York and in Maine, of bakers who are adopting stone-milled uh, grains. And, you know, even Whole Foods Bakehouse in Boston bought, a, bought an organic heritage variety called Red Fife from our mill this year in order to make a, a baguette that featured that grain by its variety name. Uh, bakeries in Maine like Standard Bakery and Scratch Bakery are um, really excited to test out the different varieties of wheat and be able to understand the different flavors that can come with them. Um, in New York City, we're seeing uh, uh, Lafayette Bakery is one example who is starting to use stone ground rye from local source, among many others. And and Grow NYC is 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 another great partner in this space, trying to uh, educate folks about grains. So it, I think it's an exciting time. And and over the next five to ten years, I think the landscape of grains will change dramatically. Where uh, we're not just buying uh, white flour. We're paying a, a lot more attention to what we're buying. So, and I want, you know, obviously projects like this, there are, you know, kind of cost of transition and, and building the kind of human capital and the, the resources. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about kind of the, the funding for the project and, and where those revenue streams come from and, um, Kind of how you expect that to kind of stay the same or maybe shift as the as the work kind of grows and 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 changes. Mm-hmm. I think we were inspired um, to start the seed project through the Maine Grain Alliance, both out of seeing the need here in Maine for a greater seed supply, but also from a trip that a group of us took over to Denmark, and where we learned that there was a system in place that. Um, where wheat breeders would focus on varieties and then move those quantities of seed onto the next scale grower that would grow them out, who would then move them on to the next larger scale farm that would then grow them out, to, to eventual commercial seed production. So we're trying to achieve the same thing here. And like you said, the, the early stages of getting this work going really helps to have uh, funding that can support that work and can, can pay farmers to help us with this work. So the Maine Grain Alliance was generous, gen- generously funded by the Almina B. Sewell Foundation to launch the project last year. 
we've just been refunded this year by the Maine Community Foundation. And, and again, this is um, aimed to be a short-term project until we have supply enough to turn it over to seed producers in Maine that want, might want to make this part of their uh, business plan. So if folks want to kind of support the work that you're doing, I mean, can they can they buy a bag of grains? Should they go to the site and donate? Should they attend the kneading conference? All of the above. Like, what's the best way for folks listening who, who want to see you grow to support your work? I would say, first and foremost, check out our website, uh, maingrainalliance.com. You can also get there by kneadingconference.com. We love to see new faces at the Kneading Conference. Um, it's a nice mix of old and new friends, professional bakers, millers, oven builders from all around the country. It's a wonderful environment to immerse yourself in these topics if you're interested in that. And then I would say um, listeners should support their local millers, whoever those might be and wherever you might be, uh, because those folks are doing great work in this uh, field. So. Um, more and more you will start seeing local grains from different mills available in the marketplace. So be sure to support them. And we, you can also become a member of the Maine Grain Alliance to receive periodic news and articles from us. So that would be another way. Awesome. And, well, before we head out, we're just about out of time, but I want to kind of um, talk, you know, a little bit. Richard, I'm wondering from a consumption standpoint if you have any, like, kind of favorite uh, grains or recipes or usage that you would kind of recommend to our listeners um, that they should be kind of like checking out or thinking about or looking forward to? Well, I grew about uh, oh, a half an acre of uh, blend wheat here just a few years ago and then ended up taking it down to the mill and getting it ground up for myself just to make uh, my own bread at home. And I've ended up giving away a lot of that to friends and and but now with these with uh, this project that we're on now, my the thing I'm really trying to do is to create more of the seed to make it more available, and then maybe I'll have enough to be able to start growing a large quantity. But I see it really a number of years down the road before uh, there's enough here that's co- really commercially um, available for people to use. So we have to we have to come up and make friends with you to get our hands on a little bit of that wheat, huh? <laughs> Yes, yes. Come on up. Um, how about you, Amber? Anything um, in particular that's been like a, a surprise or delight as you've kind of gotten to, to taste and explore some of the, the different um, varieties? Yes, I, I would say, you know, my business partner was enamored with a variety called Red Fife for its, for its exceptionally sweet flavor, sweet and nutty flavor. And the Red Fife has been one of the varieties that was repopularized in Canada, and so we are able to get our hands on seed to grow in New England. So I've been delighted to see other bakers get excited about heritage varieties. Um, I mentioned Whole Foods and other um, companies that are really getting behind the, the difference and, and realizing the difference, and so that's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Amber and Richard, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been great to have you on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes, we're welcome. So if folks want to learn more about the Maine Grain Alliance or check out the Kneading Conference, uh, visit the website, www.kneadingconference.com. Again, that's coming up at the end of July. Uh, Lovely excuse to take a road trip up to Maine. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. This show, like all 35 of our weekly programs, is available 
for free on our website. Uh, we are also in the midst of a pledge drive. So if you believe in our work, and I hope that you do, please support our work by becoming a member. Click that donate tab at the $120 level. We'll send you one of our snazzy totes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks so much for listening and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.